six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Prepare yourself for a world of science. This is... What is going on, everybody? Conley here with the Science Knights. We have all three knights assembled. Dr. Honorbon Bhattacharjee, Dr. Sean Graham, and Dr. Thomas Schiller in the house. And, uh, you know, I actually had this thought. I was thinking... You know, since Valentine's Day is around the corner, what better way to celebrate than to talk about some ways, uh, what would you love, say, yeah. animals get it when, on? When a, when a dinosaur loves another dinosaur very much. Now, let me, got, let me, uh, let me ask you, you something on that, Thomas, real quick before we get into the episode. Are there any trace fossils between uh, two brontosaurus legs of something dragging the ground no. besides a tail? No, there aren't. There aren't. No. Otherwise, I would have talked about them at length in our previous episode. And I was—I always wondered, okay, I looked up roosters and chickens and hens. That's a fascinating reproductive cycle. Oh, there. yeah. When you think about fish, they do it completely different too. Snakes and dinosaurs. What? They're not anything like, you know, it's not like you take them out to the Riata or you go to Spicewood and you show no. them a good time and you're just hoping, no. you know, you get some flowers. That's not what they do. No, Daddy T-Rex was not taking Mommy T-Rex out on a date. Okay. Well, and I, I guess he, he could have. We just don't have a Chasing down a Velociraptor or something like that. Yeah. 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 A nice juicy uh, hadrosaur or something. <laughs> But anyway, well, we're going to get into the way animals of all types make sweet, sweet Some love. of them, like more fascinating ones, right? Yeah, we're yeah. just going to kind of go through and, and we'll hit the highlights. Cause, highlights. And for some, you know, I know I know there's some great ones. And there's going to be some, you guys might stump me. If you tell me, you know, hey, how does this or that do it? I'm not I'm not sure if I really know. For vertebrates, I'm pretty good. So... Okay, but, but then there's well, a big black hole because we don't understand uh, what a lot of the big fossil groups did, like dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to be able to tell you that. Okay, well, speculate. This, but. Okay, here we go. So what what initiated this curiosity? Yeah, tell me about that. Roosters. Yeah, they act like hey, they have the biggest cojones in the world. Uh -huh. I mean, they are mean, dude. All every rooster I've met is at least killed about three people. Right, and. I always wondered, okay, wait, I can't really yeah. look under the dress and see, you know, hey, what, he's a grower, not a shower or right. whatever. But um, even if you did, I mean, you I wouldn't would, find yeah, anything. I wouldn't find anything. You would find nothing. Would yeah. I find a little hole or anything? What, what's going on here? Well, in birds, you find what's called a cloaca. So it's basically a little opening. And within that opening, you have housed both the reproductive organs and the, the basically the, the butt, right? Right. Um, right. The number one, organs. number one, and number two comes out of the same hole mm. in a lot of vertebrates and, and, and babies. Uh huh. Well, and eggs, right? Yeah, the the eggs, number one, number two, and the reproductive stuff. Uh, yeah, sorry, I totally blew it. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, all all the reproductive stuff, urine, and the other dookie this that all comes out huh. from a single hole, and that's for. It's actually, you think of that, you're thinking, ooh, that's gross, that's weird. No, you're weird. 
Because for most vertebrates, that's the way they do it. I mean, huh. isn't it more efficient? Well, it's just, you know, the separation of function and separate openings, that's kind of distinctly mammalian. Yeah. And um, there aren't that many other critters that do it that way. So, um, and, you know, we're, we're going to get into this a little bit more, but even within mammals, um, you know, it's a little unusual to have a common opening for the uterus, a single opening there. Most, there's two oviducts, and that's the same in humans, the fallopian tubes. If you've ever seen these little diagrams, there's two of them. Mm -hmm. It's all paired, and it's all kind of symmetrical on either side. And there's a pair of fallopian tubes, and then they join into a common uterus. And that's uh, distinctly only within the placental mammals, mm -hmm. um, the, the group to which we belong. Marsupials, it remains separated all the way to a cloaca. And same thing with the egg-laying mammals. It remains separate. And if you want to fertilize eggs on both sides of that, of the oviducts, you need a two-headed penis. Which exists? Which exists in marsupial mammals, it exists in the egg-laying mammals, and it exists in a ton of other vertebrates like you know, lizards and snakes. So how does one go about evolving that? Just for, you know, science. Is there a supplement they, you can take? <laughs> This is going down. I don't really recommend quick. it. I don't <laughs> recommend it. But no, it's the other way around. You're thinking about it the wrong way. Uh, the question should be, how do you evolve not having a two-headed penis? That's what placental mammals have done. Oh, okay. Because the, the kind of uh, primitive condition would be to have one that's got, you know, it's not like two enormous, you know, ropes sticking out. It's, it's, it's got one shaft and then it's just got two heads at the end so that and they can get into either one of those oviducts. And hmm. if you didn't fertilize both sides of the oviducts, right, hmm. you would miss out on a reproductive opportunity. So you got to make sure you do that. And well, isn't it also like uh, true? There are certain very rare humans that are like the like kind of the penis, but like uh, is it? Is it uh, you got more on me than that. I don't. I don't know. Let's not. Let's not. Let's not. Let's not talk humans. But I do have a question. So it is interesting for the female too, especially in marsupials and. Um, roosters, and I guess a lot, a lot more, because um, one, you know, one fertilization opportunity can make multiple yeah. offspring yeah. over a course of an extended amount of time, or even years. Uh, I think one of you yeah. also talked about this uh, extended and uh, extended and having a lot of offsprings and having few offsprings in one of our earlier episodes. But our listeners can go back and listen to that one too. About this really important new theory in biology, the unifying theory Un of biology. Unifying yeah. theory. Whoever has the most offspring leaves behind the most yeah, babies. Yeah, that influences what the new generations are going to be like, look right. like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, you mentioned roosters, though. Yeah. And so I kind of made it seem like it's totally normal to have a penis, but that's not necessarily. Uh, a, in fact, that's also kind of uncommon because most fish don't. And mm -hmm. fish are the most common vertebrates. There's like 30,000 species. And there's a few that have evolved a uh, penis-like structure for intromission, to, you know, for internal fertilization. Uh, but it's pretty uncommon in fish. And in pretty much all birds, with a couple of exceptions, there aren't any. And they accomplish fertilization by this really romantic gesture called a cloacal kiss. And that's, that's the technical Thank term you. for it. A cloacal kiss. So the, the male is able to position his cloaca, which is the common opening for everything, 
next to the females and then press it up against and the, the sperm will just transfer across that distance through capillary action. It's not it's actually not very efficient, but amazingly birds can do it really well. And they and it just takes them a second. A second it's like they time it out? Is there no, well, you, no well, process you ever, to it? You, people here might have seen a rooster actually mount a hen and it takes about a second and then wow. they're done. Huh. They fluff their feathers and it yeah. looks like it's like what just happened? And then it's all over and that's all it takes. Some birds can even do it in midair. Yeah. Well, what's the point of all the mating rituals? Uh, well, that's the precursor. Have. It's the courtship. That's where oh. the woman... Uh, the woman. <laughs> I mean, the woman bird. Bird. The female bird. That's where the woman bird gets to choose who she's going to mate with. So all that's the prelude. And then she has to assume a pretty good position to allow him to kind of get in oh, there. Oh, I see. And that, that's all on her. If she doesn't do that, he can't do it. It's very hard. There are some examples of some birds that can kind of force the issue, and they have evolved penis-like structures. Uh, Not a duck, right? Yeah, ducks are the kind of notorious ones that have enormous corkscrew-shaped penis-like structures. And I'm saying penis-like structures because they're not the same thing that mammals have. It's evolved from different tissue. Completely. Still considered an external organ. Yeah, I mean, it comes out. It comes out of the cloaca, mm-hmm. and it expands, and it's unbelievably crazy. And it's like the, the length of the entire body of the duck, or longer. Um, well, it's nuts. And some sharks are like that too. Sharks, all sh- all sharks have internal fertilization, and mm-hmm. and they have a pair of um, penis-like structures on their anal fins. And so the little fins that kind of are next to the cloaca in fish, which most fish have. It's a paired. It's a pair of fins, and male sharks and other um, cartilaginous fish have a pair of kind of batons that are sticking out of those anal fins, and they use those to transfer sperm for internal fertilization. They're called claspers, hmm. sharks, and they're not the same thing as a mammalian penis. They've evolved from completely different structures and, and uh, tissue, and so that's yet another what I'll call intermittent organ that's evolved independently within vertebrates. So, uh, coming back to fishes and the birds, and you said in birds is capillarity, and capillarity is something, uh, in physics, what it means, if you put a glass tube down in a glass, and then you kind of see the glass, uh, the water kind of of rising up the side of the glass, kind of, and it rises up, so that's uh, capillarity, basically, and that's the principle, even um, really big trees kind of force the water really up to their... apex part, like the top part of the uh, leaves and everything. So that's how they force the water to go there. So that's, I understand that. Okay. You yeah, I'm glad to, you did because so, I, I actually kind of don't understand how capillary action works. I just say it a lot. Uh, so <laughs> capillary action, if I had to break it down very quickly, it would be, for example, the water molecules in there would form a temporary bond with the glass yeah. uh, molecules. I see. And then they would drag that water molecule a little bit up. And it kind of continues uh, in that fashion. So that's what capillarity uh, basically in very short. But I understand that in birds, right? Like you have the two openings coming together and the... Uh, and and there's ejaculation and the ejaculate moves like with that attraction. Yeah, but I'm not actually fishes. sure. I'm not sure if there's actually an ejaculation. That's why I said capillary action because um, ejaculation would be like a smooth muscle nervous reaction that actually causes it to but, shoot out. But there's a flow needs to come somewhere, and, and the flow happens. The, right, the flow is. I'm saying it's just through simple capillary action. So, but um, what I was meaning by ejaculate uh, ejaculation inside the bird, you're just having some kind of a flow, and right. like I just yeah. and that 
that yeah. just moves yeah. smoothly yeah, along yeah. to That's right. the female bird. But the next, uh, the question that fish. I was going to ask, fish, is in yeah. the water. So that how is that's it? that's more of an ejaculation. So yeah, yeah. Most most fish, um, and there's a ton of them. And most vertebrates are fish. Um, they are they're pretty simple in the way they reproduce. The female um, sprays her eggs out of her body cavity through the cloaca, and simultaneously the male sprays a bunch of sperm into the water um, through his cloaca. And so you've probably all seen that, like with salmon spawning. And the fish will just, and you know, sometimes it's a little bit more intimate, and there's often courtship involved. And if it happens with a couple of fish in fresh water, it's, it's quick, and they'll swim next to each other side by side. And the male, you'll see this little cloud of um, milt, sperm, in the water column. So it's all, it's all external, usually, in fish. And it's done, you know, because the sperm can easily be trans- transported through the water, and it's all done right there. And other males can kind of sneak in when it's happening and try to fertilize some of the eggs because it's happening outside the body. So there's a lot of fun stuff like that. But with fish, that's kind of the basic pattern, and that's the kind of primitive baseline pattern for all vertebrates is external fertilization, aquatic eggs. And then from there, you get more fancy. And even some fish have evolved, you know, internal fertilization, intermittent organs, including around here. I'll just quickly mention the the mosquito fish we have in Texas. We have several species, some rare ones, endangered ones in Big Bend National Park. The males are colorful, and they've got a little extension along their anal fin that's used as an intermittent one, and they give live birth right here in Whoa. Texas. Yeah, really? Live birth? Yeah, they have internal fertilization and live birth. The, the little baby fish come right out of the female's cloaca as a miniature baby fish. They, a little, they, little tadpole? Little yeah, it looks, looks a little bit like a tadpole, but it's fully formed. It's got all its fins and everything. Oh, wow. It's ready to go. So what about amphibians? We're going to follow this phylogenetic. Oh, yeah, yeah. If we go yeah. up, so the basic kind of primitive pattern for amphibians, the same thing. External fertilization in the water, in ponds. But they're asexual. No, they got, no. so some some are asexual, some, okay. but most of them have, you know, males and females, sexual reproduction. Um, and then, so that's the kind of primitive uh, condition for amphibians. And actually, that's not that common. Even though it's the, we assume it's the primitive condition and most of the earliest amphibians did it that way. Most modern amphibians actually have internal fertilization. You're going to love this. It's weird. So they don't have a penis-like structure, okay. but they have internal fertilization. So how do you do that? How, how does that work? Can anyone think of a way to get sperm into a female without an, a, a penis-like structure? Your mouth? Yeah, good. Good. You know? I mean, that's, that's a good guess. A way. So but they don't not, have cloaca? They've got a cloaca. But what they don't have is any kind of intermittent organ, but they still have internal fertilization. Oh, rock. So what you have you guys ever heard of who's the um, mythic hero in, in southwestern Native American mythology who has a detachable penis? You know what I'm talking about? Aphrodite. Native American? I can't remember. I can't remember. But that's basically what they have. It's not a detachable penis, but they've got, they basically drop down this gelatinous blob with a little bit of sperm on the top of it. It's called a spermatophore. Okay. And then the female comes along and picks it up if the courtship goes well. And so sometimes you come to these breeding ponds where these salamanders are breeding, and there's hundreds of these spermatophores that they've laid in the pond, hoping that a female will come pick them up. And so that's how most salamanders do it. So the universal theory of biology is getting a little creative. It is. It's, yeah. That's a way to do it. Yeah. It is a way to do it. Yeah, okay. 
Well, before we go to our break, my last question, uh-huh. and and this is gonna this is kind of segue into my part where I get to talk about dinosaurs. Yeah, crocodiles, crocodilians, crocodilians have a true penis. Okay. Yeah. Really. Yeah. And it's uh, how come you never I, see it whenever when they I, like. When I say a true penis, that means that somehow um, some common ancestor between mammals and crocodilians and turtles mm-hmm. did evolve a instrument organ that's pretty much homologous between those three groups. I don't know how that works, but the tissue is the same. It comes out of the cloaca, just like mm-hmm. the penis of a kangaroo would. But um, yeah, it's it's pretty much developmentally the same structure that mammals have, and which is weird. frogs. Why do frogs sit on top of each other? Frogs have a cloacal kiss. Yeah, yeah most of them have a cloacal kiss. There's yeah. one frog that has retained the tail of the tadpole, yeah, as an intermittent organ. There's one frog on Earth that has a tail, and it's a true tail. It's got all the muscles that like the the tadpole ha- uses for the tail. Yeah. But only males have it, and it uses it as a penis. Huh. That's another separate origination of an intermittent organ. And you know where that frog lives? It's not like Madagascar or Borneo. It's the Pacific Northwest of the United States, huh. called the tailed frog. We got yeah. it. Oregon and really cool. Washington and yeah. Seattle. Yeah. Uh, do, now, before we get to the break, I have a quick question. Do these animals, you know, that decide to get together and do do they know each other? Have they is there any emotional connection at all? There's like, usually some courtship and I'll bet you that's to them that's the same thing. Oh okay. They get to size each other up first. I mean, go on. You go up yeah. the some of the animal species they only mate with only one uh male. Like, like penguins. Not just penguins, like I think foxes have only one there's, there's monogamy. Yeah, monogamy, we, we yeah. can do a whole show on monogamy. It's rare, but it yeah. does happen. Yeah. Hmm. yeah, and certainly lifetime monogamy is like the rarest jewel out there. There's hardly any animals that I think foxes are one of them made for life. But if yeah. their if their partner dies, they'd still pick up a new partner. Like uh, otters, otters are on that scale. Um, some primates, but it's it's pretty yeah. uncommon. Uh, there's some mice that are just totally geared for monog- monogamy. It's unbelievable, yeah. and they won't like. Yeah, it's crazy, but it's rare. It's not. It's not the usual pattern. Huh. Interesting. Okay, well, we're uh, going to go into a quick commercial break. We'll be back with more. Alrighty, we're the back with the science nights, and we're talking about sex. We're talking about reproduction um, in different groups of animals. Um, I'm trying to steer this conversation to dinosaurs for obvious reasons, but we've been talking about um, uh, reproduction in different groups. We talked about birds and fishes and amphibians, and we kind of finished up by introducing reptilian methods, right? Yeah. And Sean mentioned that crocodilians, they have a true penis, and and turtles turtles have one. It's crazy. Turtles have an enormous penis um, for their body size. looks like a big cow tongue big purple thing and i think it's because it's so awkward for them to make right. and this might have some bearing on our you know stegosaurus conundrum mm-hmm. um it's a really awkward position for turtles for the male to get up and under to approach the female cloaca and so i think that's part of the reason why they have a huge penis is so it can kind of stretch um and then uh lizards and snakes have evolved a totally new kind of reproductive um, male intermittent organ is crazy. They're called hemipenes. It's It's got two heads, like a marsupial mammal, and in snakes it's super spiny, and so it's super horrifying. It's terrible looking. And the idea with snakes is that 
I think it's sperm transfer is probably super um, inefficient in snakes. They may have the longest distance to travel. The sperm of a snake may have the longest distance to travel for its body size of any vertebrate. Think about it. Because the testes are inside the snake, and it's got to go all the way down the vas deferens, out through the hemipenes, into the female oviduct, and all the way up to her ovaries that are midway through her body. And think about how long that is for a snake. So I think it takes a long time for sperm to transfer, and it's done through capillary action. There's no ejaculation. So they've got to stay lodged in there for hours. It happens. It takes hours, 8, 12 hours. And so they're locked in with the spiny. They're like coiled around each other, right? That's well, in some cases, um, they do that during courtship, and then when they're actually locked together like that, the female looks super bored, and she starts <laughs> trying to crawl away, and she drags the male behind her. I had um, a, a, a schnauzer and a scotty in the same oh, yeah. house. They, yeah, they get a and they get a, a coitus lock as well. Yeah, and and I was freaking out. I never. I was like eighteen years old when yeah. this happened. I thought <laughs> I thought there was something really wrong. Yeah, that's not the way it's supposed to go, right? Yeah, yeah. I've I've seen that happen before, and and it's kind of the same deal. The the female doesn't look too no, pleased after no, a while, and no. she's trying yeah. like nipping at the male. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, get lost, man. <laughs> yeah, get out of I here. I know a very funny story, but I'm not going to say that on live air. But well. Um, we're not going to be live. Yeah. Go ahead. No, but so, uh, so maybe uh, we'll go right back to reptiles. So those—that's the selection. And uh, my question then goes to Thomas. Was more like so. You have dino eggs, right? Right. We have dino eggs. We have dino eggs. Fossil yeah. eggs. Fossil eggs. Now, can we learn anything from there about their sexual stuff, like uh, well, reproduction? Well, we 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 can we can tell that they laid eggs basically. Okay. But That's I, I kind of want to go back to what Sean was, was leading into when it comes to dinosaur reproduction, you know, the first step. We know that comes before the egg, definitely. Right. Don't yeah. know if the chicken came first, but we know the we egg. know copulation happened yeah. first. Yeah. So um, it's one of the biggest mysteries we have in paleontology is how did dinosaurs reproduce? How did they copulate? Right. And the kind of fundamental uh, quality of that is... Physically, how did they do it? Because you're talking some animals like Argentinosaurus, which was probably the largest thing that ever walked on Earth, mm. 50 to 100 tons um, from you know modern estimates. So just enormous animals that weighed tons. We look at modern animals and how they they go about doing it, and you know it's feasible, right? But imagine a hundred ton animal trying to mount a, a female and copulate. It's it's almost impossible to imagine, and it's still a big mystery. And the reason it's a mystery is uh, one we've dead, talked dead. about this before. They're yeah they're, they're dead. they've been dead for a long time. <laughs> That's probably the biggest part. We can't actually observe them, <sighs> although it might be kind of scary to observe dinosaurs going about that. Um, but we we've talked in previous episodes about the nature of the fossil record and how fossilization takes place. Usually when we're looking at the material left behind by dinosaurs, it's skeletal material. It's solid bone. Um, so we don't have much preservation of soft tissue, yeah. which is what's going to be involved and in this And you don't process. have the benefit of, of a mammal having a penis bone. And there is such thing. Yeah. In many mammals, there's a, a structure called a baculum. And it and it supports the penis. And so that, that would that would leave yeah. a fossil. Yeah. And obviously they don't have that. No dinosaur so bacula. They're, they're, no. But that's unusual. Mammals are the only bird that I know of that have a bone like that. And of course we 
humans don't. So I think it went away in some of the primates, yeah. so it's gone. That we, we don't have mm-hmm. bacula for dinosaurs. We don't have any soft tissue of those of those parts. So it's a big mystery. And, and another component to that, which Sean was alluding to, is we've got uh, crocodilians, which are really close relatives to dinosaurs. They're archosaurs. They belong to the same broader group. And we have birds, which are dinosaurs. Right, right. And the method uh, which they, they copulate is completely different. Crocodilians, they have a penis. They go about it in the same or similar way that we do. Birds have cloacas, and, and they pass sperm in a different way. Yeah. So what? the dinosaurs, which are in between... You How the hell do they do it? You yeah, go, go either, either way. way. But there's water involved mainly with the crocodilians, right? Does water kind of help or does that ma- even matter? I don't know. Do does they, water have to be present? They do it underwater. Yeah. They do it underwater. Yeah, okay, they, so it has to be present. They may, they may, but they they do it internally, though, so it doesn't really matter in that sense. But I'm just telling you, like, so an alligator, they'll, they'll achieve copulation and then sink to the bottom mm. and then sit like that for a while while, while it happens. Yeah. But it, the penis is inside the female's cloaca and there, there would be nice and airtight. It wouldn't right. matter uh-huh. whether you know, they could do it on land. In other they words, could? It wouldn't make any difference because they're, they're doing it internally either way. Yeah. Okay. So, I was wondering, so if they, this is like you when you talk about Gentosaurus and being such huge animals and on land, uh, um, because if you're like a blue whale, it's pretty easy, you're moving in water, mm-hmm. you're buoyant. Yeah, they'll kind of support that, that way. Uh, and they'll support, but on land, I was thinking, is it possible by any chance instead there would be something like spermatophores where they would lay the sperm and they would come and like, some of that? <laughs> you know, yeah, pretty much anything is possible. Yeah, yeah. Anything is possible. And if yeah. you look at the evolutionary history of, of reproduction, and what Sean has talked about, it's it's feasible. It could happen. Yeah. They could have returned to a more primitive state where they used this. I don't see I don't see it being too big of a, a trapeze act for a giant um, brontosaur type critter, you know, a sauropod of jumping, mounting a female and using some sort of penis-like structure to gain intermission. Mm-hmm. I think it would have been harder for them to pull off a cloacal kiss. Yeah. So, but we so don't I'll bet they had a penis. Without crushing Do, each other. Well, just like the positioning would be totally bonkers. And tails. We are not even sure. Are we sure exactly where the reproductive organ lies in the dino, in these dinosaurs? Or do we have the general any? neighborhood? Yeah. yeah. General neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. Kind of if I were to hold I mean, up a dinosaur <laughs> toy. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, they, yeah. they, they probably had a cloaca. Okay. You know, if you yeah. look at their most common. No doubt common ancestors and birds they have cloaca yeah. so they probably had the same kind of opening that housed all that stuff yeah now the big question is how it happened yeah, I was yeah. but most dinosaurs you I, I think i remember you saying always had some kind of water source around them right no i, I they most, wouldn't be no, out that's here the dinosaurs that are preserved yeah there were dinosaurs that were living in the middle of nowhere we just don't have a record of them because they don't hmm. get they don't get preserved there's nothing to bury them oh okay. um, and that brings up a good point um, one of the early hypotheses about how these big long neck dinosaurs um, uh, reproduced was that they went into the water mm-hmm. uh, the, to achieve copulation they used buoyancy to their advantage and the male would mount the female while submerged in the water um, that hypothesis fell out of favor because we find them in different places where there's not a lot of deep water. Mm. Like out here in West Texas, we have Alamosaurus, um, and it was living in like river valleys. So a, a animal that's like 80 feet long, you know, dunking into a river is not going to be enough to, right. to cause the, the male to buoyantly float above the female. So um, sure, it's possible for some of them, but 
Um, that's kind of fallen out of favor, and that's kind of associated with the early idea that long-necked dinosaurs lived in swamps and, and yeah. were kind of aquatic and would walk with their heads poking up out of the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's kind of been been uh, fallen out of favor. So what we need, uh, as, you, as what I'm seeing here, is uh, Jurassic Park, right? That's what I'm saying. Some dino DNA. Dino DNA. And reproduce and see what they do. Yeah, it's, and, and when, you look in, when you look into the study of this, I mean, um, it's a question that goes all the way back to kind of the, the, the incipient stages of paleontology. Like you've got Osborne talking about uh, or, or wondering how dinosaurs reproduced and all this. So it's it's an active question, and like you said, uh, will we know the answer? It's it's impossible to know. And and the thing is, dinosaurs were such a diverse and long lived group that they probably had multiple they methods, like yeah, fishes. Yeah, they could right? have they could have gave birth to live young. Some of them. Yeah, and, yeah. and I can imagine like the little theropod dinosaurs, yeah. closely related to birds. Yeah, viviparity has evolved in almost every single major vertebrate group. So it's all it yeah. would be the the only two that didn't. Or I guess there's three. And this makes it a harder case that it's going to be dinosaurs. But birds, crocodilians. Although there is, isn't there a marine crocodilian that we think could have been a viviparous crocodile? I cover that in my class. I, I could be wrong. Is it off the coast of Australia? It was that it, one that goes from Australia up a, to it's a, uh, it's South a, America? It's a fossil uh, It's a fossil crocodilian. It's, I think it's a marine one. And I think there's some evidence it might have been a, a live bear, which would be cool. Which would mean that it's totally possible that dinosaurs could be. Yeah. But if all modern crocodilians are egg layers, with no exception, all modern birds are egg layers, with no exception. So that means dinosaurs probably all laid eggs. Still think it's possible that viviparity could have evolved. Mm-hmm. And then turtles, all of them lay eggs. Yeah. Those are the only groups. Everything else has evolved live young, at least one species within within every major group. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so now we can get back to your question, Honor Bon, about dinosaur eggs. It's one of the, the kind of the true physical evidence we have of the reproductive cycles of, of dinosaurs, we actually have eggs. Um, and the funny thing is when a lot of people think of dinosaur eggs, you think of these nice intact spherical eggs. Usually what we find are little bits and pieces. So um, if you're down in Terlingua and you have a bunch of big spherical objects that you found, they're probably not eggs. Um, you can send me an email. They could Please be coprolite. They could be coprolites. Uh, but I get so many people coming by my yeah. office who think they have dinosaur eggs, um, and they're incredibly useful. They're they're useful, um, not not in a uh, kind of biological sense in, 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 in the most part, but they can tell us a lot about the chemistry of the animal. And uh, some people think that they can be attributed to like the the body temperature of the animal, so biochemistry, um, like by studying the chemical structure. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, right. they're 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 crystalline calcite, though. Yeah. They're calcium carbonate, so they have uh, they have uh, carbon isotopes in them. Mm-hmm. So just like we use carbon isotopes for proxies for other things, we can use them for proxies for temperature. Mm-hmm. Um, now, one of the biggest misconceptions about dinosaur eggs, though, is that they're they're going to be these huge, you know, ginormous spherical things. Well, even long-necked dinosaurs that we can associate with nests had eggs that were like the size of a softball, maybe a little bit bigger. Yeah. They're not enormous, right? Yeah. They're, um, they're a mod- well, they're nearly modern birds that have bigger eggs than that. Right? Like the elephant bird. Yeah. Which was, you know, around when people were around. It has an egg that's 
pretty darn big. It's like the size of a nearly the size of a basketball. So. I mean, oh yeah, but uh, emu and ostrich eggs. Yeah, ostrich eggs are about the size. of, I think what he's describing. Yeah, yeah like maybe a, a little bit bigger than a yeah. than an ostrich. Egg. But imagine, yeah, imagine a, a sauropod coming out of an egg that should be hatching a six foot tall bird. Yeah, instead, yeah, instead it's pretty it's incredible. Fifty feet tall. Yeah. So they, well, God, they must have grown a lot and fast to get. Yeah, the the thought is that they and we actually have evidence. We can look at the growth rings in their bones and kind of chronicle their their growth rate. And they're kind of competing hypotheses, but I think for the most part, people have agreed that that most dinosaurs grew pretty fast. Yeah. Um, so um, another thing that that eggs are, are useful in telling us as scientists, um, if we do actually find them intact, and we have found dinosaur nests. Um, is all about behavior. Um, and, you know, the, the process of uh, reproduction is not just population. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a whole st- stages, you know, there's, there's, there's courtship, there's display, there's copulation, there's birth, all sorts yeah. of things. So what, when we find these nests, what they tell us, at least in the, the dinosaur that laid that nest, that there's some form of, of care following, following laying of eggs. Um, we find big clutches of eggs that are taken care of. They're arranged just like if you looked at a modern crocodile nest, kind of in a radial pattern. They're covered over by insulatory material. So these dinosaurs were taking care of their eggs. Yeah. Um, and then following that, we find um, sites where multiple dinosaurs have died, where there's juveniles, where there's teenage dinosaurs and adult dinosaurs, indicating that even following um, coming out of the egg, the parents were taking care of them, mm. right? So um, eggs can be really useful. Um, and then you were talking about um, the thing that happens before copulation. We've been focusing mostly on that courtship and whatnot. This is where your fossils can really still yeah. tell you a lot. Yeah, and and the the reason our fossils are so useful in, in um, hypo- uh, hypothesizing about how the dinosaurs behaved in this kind of pre-copulation um, phase is because we have all these different groups of dinosaurs that have really unusual, bizarre features to their skeletons. They okay, think um, think uh, Triceratops with its big ornate frill and big horns on its face. They okay, think Stegosaurus with its big plates along its back. Yeah. Uh, long neck dinosaurs with their long, long necks. Um, a lot of scientists think that that these features, at least in part, have a lot to do with with um, you know, enticing a mate with courtship, um, just like modern animals with display. Um, we had feathered dinosaurs um, that weren't truly birds that had, you know, big, brightly colored feathers. Um, they weren't for flying. We know that. So they were probably for display, um, just like modern birds will fluff themselves up and flap their wings around to, to impress mates. The dinosaurs probably did the same thing. Yeah, there's this great um, paper... I forget who wrote it, but there's this great series of figures in it where um, throughout animals, they they have all these crazy structures like horns and things like that, big giant mandibles and beetles and things like that. And they made all those structures the same color, like this dark black, and then they size matched all the features. So you'll have like a stag beetle with an enormous set of horns right next to a triceratops, but they're they're, they're matched for size. Yeah. And then all these little adornments all seem super consistent. Huh. They're like every and they turn up in every vertebrate group. Mm-hmm. Sails on the back of newts, you know, um 
crazy, you know, like you brought it up with the rooster, the very first thing you talked about, the comb yeah. of a rooster, um, the neck flange of a rooster and turkeys, all that stuff. Um, it, yeah, if you, if you concentrate on all those things and match it for size, you, it's hard to imagine that they could all be for, you know, the other option is that Triceratops used it for defense, which, you know, secondarily probably could use it for defense. A mule deer would use its antlers in self-defense, but mm-hmm. the primary reason the mule deer has those antlers is yeah, to fight with other mouse. Yeah, and I, I mentioned feathers, something I should I should talk about really quick. Um, one of the, the great kind of advancements that's happened in paleontology of recent is um, we can actually determine the true color of, of feathers, even there, even ones that have been, you know, fossilized for millions of years. Um, and this goes, this has to do with, with biology. They, they have um, these organelles in the cells called melanosomes. And um, these are tiny, tiny little organelles, but with modern technology, scientists can actually look at the structure of those melanosomes. And all living things that have colored skin, hair, feathers, whatever, have melanosomes in their in their their cells, so we can compare the structure of these ancient melanosomes in dinosaur feathers to living birds, and we can recolor dinosaurs that have been extinct for millions and millions of years. And we find some really interesting things: is a lot of them are patterned and colored very similar to modern birds. Hmm. Like there's Anchiornis that that would have had a coloration really similar to to a woodpecker. Right, we can tell that it had like a like a white and red frill on its head. It had black feathers. Um, uh, Archaeopteryx, one of the most well-known vertebrate fossils out there, a transitional fossil between birds and dinosaurs, uh, probably would have been colored like a raven or a crow. Oh, it really? Black? Weird. Yeah, black with iridescence. Huh. I, don't yeah, know, we can I always thought it was blue or, or something. Maybe a good old all the children's book. Yeah, a like good a old Texas grackle. A good old Texas grackle. Yeah. Um, so, and we can tell that some of these, these dinosaurs are really brightly colored and probably use their feathers for display. Okay. Well, that's great. Well, okay. Got a uh, question for after the break and, uh, it has to do with loneliness. <laughs> we'll get to Can't that wait. after the break. All right. We are back everybody. And to uh, finish out this segment of love, we're not going to forget about, you know, all those out there that. Don't like, need love. That don't need love. The lonely heart. You don't need it. No. Uh-uh. Nope. But uh, are there any organisms out there that don't require sexual reproduction? Yeah. So if you're talking about organisms, sexual reproduction is actually not that common. Because most organisms on Earth are bacteria, single-celled organisms, and all of none of them have sexual reproduction. And, you know, just to give you an idea how many bacteria there are out there, your, in your body, there are more bacteria cells than there are your own cells. They're, they're, they're 40 times smaller than your cells, and they're all over you and all in and between all of your cells. And none of them use and, sexual reproduction. And some, sometimes we should actually get an – sometimes I'm saying, like, we should get an expert, like, who actually deals with the body microbes and bacteria and how that – like does assume yeah. sometimes sometimes we have to do the entire show yeah. and get some yeah, expert that. on that. But in terms for for vertebrates, it's not that common. Vertebrates uh, like sexual reproduction. Now that doesn't mean and and animals um, sexual reproduction is super common in animals too. And here's the thing though you can you can still have kind of like this asexual reproduction and be an animal. 
you can have functional male and female gonads in the same individual. Mm. You can be a hermaphrodite. Right. You can still yeah. be an animal. So things like jellyfish, um, coral, sponges, those kind of things. Right. They can they can even be a simultaneous hermaphrodite. They can at the same time have male and female gonads and produce sperm and egg. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're fertilizing themselves. So even something like a sponge, it's sexual reproduction because they, they have egg and sperm simultaneously, but they broadcast the sperm into the water column and fertilize another individual. And at the same time, that other individual might broadcast sperm to them and then fertilize their eggs. And so it's still sexual, even though they're hermaphrodites. Most flowering, well, almost all plants are hermaphrodites, too, like that. Hmm. Is that how the immortal jellyfish works, too? I'm not sure. What, what, tell me about the, the immortal, immortal jellyfish. The immortal jellyfish basically is immortal, right? But it, when it ages, it basically gives birth to itself over again okay, it's, so a, it's a mystery it sounds like so you're describing parthenogenesis which is okay. i think the word means virgin birth but it's kind yeah, of that's not a great like that, that's not a great word for this but there are some animals that can basically they kind of you know in order to do sexual reproduction you have to um partition into your gametes into your uh, your reproductive cells half the number of chromosomes you have oh, right. so that okay. it can pair up with another gamete and then reconstitute the double chromosome number. Some vertebrates even can basically trick that process. We're talking about meiosis here, for those of you guys who took freshman biology. And they can just lay an egg that has two chromosomes in it mm-hmm. um, instead of the half number. And if you do that, you're basically laying an egg that's a clone of yourself. Right. Yeah. And yeah. That's what you're talking about. That's exactly we how it We have lizards right here in West Texas that can do that. Oh, really? In fact, the, what, what, what's an example? The, and where the, would you the whiptails. Find the whiptails are these super common lizards that you see in broad daylight on a hot summer day in the yeah. low desert. Mm-hmm. They're real fast, and they work, They kind of run in a jerky motion. All of you guys have seen, all West Texas listeners know what I'm talking about. They live on the Sol Ross campus in your backyard. They're real fast, stripy-looking lizards. About half the species of whiptails we have in West Texas are all female, and they lay eggs that are clones of themselves. And if you've never seen a whiptail, I'm certain you've seen a Mediterranean gecko, yeah. which are those little geckos that climb on your wall oh, outside yeah. your house right here in Alpine. Here, yep. Those are all female clones, too. They so, lay an egg, and it's a clone of themselves. So women can take over the world. Those, those can, and they have. The Mediterranean yeah. gecko has spread everywhere because it only takes a single individual to start the population. Is there a male out there somewhere? No males. No males. In that species, they, there's no male at all. Uh, somewhere in, in evolutionary history, certainly there was a male parental population somewhere, but yeah. it's gone now. Uh, but the whiptails, we think that that comes about through hybridization yeah. between two species that have bi- bisexual populations, oh. male and female. Okay. And then when those two hybridize, that's when you get the all-female clone All-female. Yeah. Okay. Take notes, ladies. Yeah. So, right. so I, have, I have some questions about behavior. Let's get back into to groups of animals that actually have sex. Yeah. And Conley mentioned the word loneliness. Yeah. So uh, I, I have to admit, I'm a huge nerd when it comes to wolverines. And I, I, I was always, it was always the, the, you know, I had this this understanding that wolverines were like cool, solitary animals. And I watched a documentary a couple of years ago that basically threw that out the window. And, huh. and they they like having a mate and some of them are like... They pair like, bond? Yeah, they, they pair bond. Huh. Cool. Which you look at a wolverine, you don't think that no, anything would no. want to hang out with that. Um, and the reason this kind of prompted my question is someone posted a cool article about the wolverine uh-huh. range expanding. 
Um, so are there are there groups of animals? Are there animals out there that that will just mate, take off, and hang out by themselves? Oh yeah, the gone? one the the one that you want, the one you're thinking of, is mountain lion. Okay, for, that for makes that, sense. Sex is completely functional for them. The males and females, the males and females tolerate each other, right? The male, oh. the male has like a, a, a kind of a harem where he, um, his territory encompasses the territory of maybe like five or six mm-hmm. females, and they know they're there, and they smell each other's urine and see each other, and they don't, they don't interact otherwise. And then after mating, uh, they kind of they're standoffish because the females like you're not giving them my kittens just right. in case you decide to kill them all. Yeah. And mating is super brutal and takes, you know, uh, five seconds and it's all over with. And it's they're super solitary. And most cats are like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the yeah. exceptions are some of the ones that form these prides like lions. And they, they have a little bit more of an intimate kind of thing going on. But mo- a lot of cats are like that, where they just have this I mean, brief that, thing that, that males and females will fight. <laughs> yeah. I mean, tigers will do that, too. They'll yeah, tigers are like that. Go there yeah. too. I think tigers might have exactly the same mating system as... Outlines. Yeah, because male tigers are all solitary. They won't yeah. hang around, yeah. and other women will raise the kids. And it has to do, you know, yeah. their their hunting behavior yeah. is completely solitary. It's ambush hunting. So you, if you have another cat around, it's not going to help with that. Yeah. So you just get in each other's way if you're ambush hunting. So you don't see each other. So or, I think that's why that that that's the way it is. Or be like a praying mantis. Mm-hmm. Just rip the head off your mate. Yeah. Just and eat them afterwards. And that becomes your those sustenance. Are, those are such great mating systems. Yes. Yeah. The, the male basically donates his head to the female. Yes. To help, oh, to yes. help increase his mating success. Yeah. So I forgot about yeah. that. Yeah. Could you imagine going into that deal? And the black widow. So yeah, yeah, the I mean, black yeah, widow yeah. does She that. better be yeah. worth it's it. So man. Great. <laughs> and that's like, you could. Uh, how in the heck could you ever explain something like that without the unifying theory of biology? Sure. It increases their mating success. Mm-hmm. To what? commit hairy carry, basically, they do a backflip and let the female devour them because mm-hmm. that those calories produce more eggs, and that's how it works. Cannibalistic cal- calories, or that's it. are they different than eating a, a leaf? Yeah. It's called a it's a nuptial gift. It's like if you marry me, I will give you me, and then you can eat me, and we'll have more kids. Yeah, and how else would that work? Because the male somehow there's got to be an instinct. For him to be able to do that, and that's the best way for them to increase their and, mating success. And think about this way, also like praying mantis or black widow. You don't have to go out and hunt for anything else. No. You're there. Your the male just comes to yeah, you, yeah, and, and he says, "How does my head look?" Yeah, and there you have food. It's juicy. Like, yeah. <laughs> but I saw the most amazing thing. I I love praying mantises and their thing. It's so despicable. But I found a female and a male praying mantis with the male mounting the female in capulo. He's okay. inserted himself into her and yeah. he's headless. Oh and my she's gosh. Ca- she's carrying him around. You know, oh, on no. A headless male that she's. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so heavy metal. There's nothing so <laughs> metal. It, than if that. you want to see heavy metal, there's a book recommendation. Uh, I will give it to you. It's a Malazan Book of the Fallen. And in this, there is this actual. Uh, sect of people where the woman uh, were they're like completely crazy, and the uh, second uh, book is called Memories of Ice, and that this actually is happening. Oh yeah, in, in the humans? war in humans. In yeah, yeah. So he, 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 this guy is an anthropo- lo- 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 
anthropologist like Steven Erickson. So he writes about different cultures. So it's a, it's a really good series. But he talks about the series completely nuts. They invade one country or a city and and, and that's we'll, what we'll the woman do. We'll put the they, link to this uh, horrifying book, <laughs> trilogy on uh, the bottom of our trilogy is a 10-book series. It's like, Holy cow. It's like a, <laughs> one of the Lord. most widely regarded series in fantasy by this person. Wow. It's like, And it's not the... Uh, yeah, the women are the warriors, and they are the doing yeah. this to the See, men. So, class, yeah, classic Amazon. And, and the kid, and the, and final thing about them, the children which are born are called children of the Dead Seed. Oh, oh man, yeah. uh, so nothing so, subtle about that. Yeah. yeah, nope. So when you're out there this Valentine's Day and you're looking across to your love of your life, just remember a headless praying mantis being carried yeah. by uh, the woman who is pregnant. Yeah, yeah. translate about right that. Now. How romantic. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Yeah, from the Science Nights. From the Science <laughs> Nights. We're going to come back uh, next week with another fun episode. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening to this episode of Science Nights in the Morning. Be sure and follow us on Patreon for exclusive gear and uncut episodes. Check out the latest science articles on our Facebook page and subscribe to us on YouTube and your favorite podcast listening app. You can also listen every Saturday at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time at BigBenRadio.com. And if you got a question, we'll join the discussion. Hit the hotline at 432-217-1983 and record your message. We couldn't do this without you. And thank you so much for listening each and every week. That's Science Nights in the Morning with a K. And we'll see you next time.